0: And all the people said, Amen. Amen. It's awfully good to be with you this morning. Glad to see you gathered. I especially want to thank you for uh, your flexibility and generosity on the adjusted schedule. Thank you so much. It is for a very good cause. And uh, what we do today, I trust, will uh, bless some young people this summer with camp and so on. But what may be done there could bless them for days and days and years ahead. And so... I'm grateful and appreciative. If you're uh, visiting with us and you just happen to come here today, let me twist your arm and ask you to stay. There's uh, provision for you there, enough for you to share in the meal. Hmm. Wait a second. I just got to thinking. If you're visiting here, you'll see us bidding for these desserts later. Hmm. Well, okay. I guess come anyway. You may, uh, you may see a side to us... Uh, well, oh, I don't know, it's, it's not personal, it, it's missions, okay, it's not personal, it's missions, it's uh, not personal, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's youth camp, right, and it's a, for a good cause, and we'll have a, a great time uh, for a great purpose, thanks for making that possible for us to do, and um, I'm so very, very appreciative. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. To a letter from Peter, we number it the second letter. It's way over toward the end, if that will help you. We'll read from chapter 1. It's a neglected little letter, uh, but it's a beautiful um, piece Um, nonetheless. It's uh, an artful little thing in my judgment. In the first chapter, we'll read from the second. But in the first chapter... Simon Peter is telling us that the gospel is working. Uh, that the testimony we saw played out in baptism, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has made new life possible. And that new life is taking hold of them. And it's working. They are now, he says, participating in God. They are sharing in the transformative power of becoming more and more like God. God is sharing His life, the life He gives to us, when he, right when He breathed into Adam, He's now sharing a spiritual life with us, and through His Son, He's sharing this special relationship, and it's working. We are partakers, participators, it says here, sharers in this life of God, in God, then it seems to be working as well where, well, virtue is concerned. And when we respond in faith uh, to this life-giving power, we are learning these virtues, and you can read that first chapter. It's a great exercise. One virtue leads to the the next, and one virtue, virtue leads to the next, and all together we come to a holiness and a goodness that God has called us to live out as we live out our confession. But Simon is worried. You'll read the very last verses of this first chapter. I think he thinks his time of death is near. And he won't be there to coach them and help them. He's particularly worried because in his place he fears that false teachers will creep in. You can see that in the very next chapter, the first verses of chapter 2. And so he warns us, but also encourages us that we can trust the story of faith that we've heard in Jesus Christ. And I'd like to share that trust and that confidence in the eyewitness. People that God called, uh, the Son Jesus called to follow him. They saw what God was doing in and through him, and finally they saw God. In his face, they discerned he was not just someone who spoke for God, but was in the very expression of God himself. They came to see who he was, that God has sent his son to reveal himself and to reclaim the world that had gone wrong, a world that had lost touch and betrayed its creator. And so this basic story witnessed by these eyewitnesses is what, Paul, uh, what Peter builds upon this morning. Now notice there's all sorts of ways to talk about God. I think the problem here is not probably not so much that there's not a God. That's kind of a modern thing. Not many people who've lived on this earth have ever felt that way. But there's all sorts of ways to sort of chip away at the Christian message. Can you suspicion that maybe life is not really begun with us, that he's not really victorious over death, and that he does not have the, the power to initiate the kingdom and to send us out on the mission in his name? Can you imagine that maybe there's something wrong there? Or maybe you can wonder if there's a problem with the idea of him coming back to finish the work he's begun in this great victory. But naysayers and false teachers so often chip away at one piece or another piece of this story. But finally what they're doing, though, is chipping away at Jesus himself, at who he is and who he claimed to be. And so Simon wants to anchor their faith wants them to be strong and if you would begin their reading with me in verse 16 for we did not allow or follow cleverly devised myths or stories to be made up when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think Simon's probably already seen false witnesses doing that. The next century we'll see even more. It just seems that the people who weren't around Jesus but came to be sort of infatuated or interested with Jesus cranked out story after story after story. Some of these are captured for us in history. But Simon is saying, we're not doing that. We're not in the... Story creation business. We didn't come to believe this sort of remarkable thing about God. I mentioned believing in God is common, but believing that God is for you and has acted for you by sending his son, that's different in the world, really different. How would we come to such a remarkable, strange idea about God? And Simon says, You've got to remember, it came to us this way in person. He came and revealed Himself to us. And we were eyewitnesses. So, verse 17. I'm sorry, the end of that uh, verse. But we have been eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses even to His majesty. For He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice was conveyed to Him, By the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We heard ourselves, this voice, come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. And this is, for you Bible folks, an echo back to one chapter out of Jesus' life the chapter about him being on the mountain and the glory of God descending on him, it's called the Transfiguration. And I preached on that not too long ago. And I know all of you remember it perfectly well. Okay, I'm not sure I remember it that well either, but the idea is this. It was this display. They had followed Jesus along the way. They'd seen his everyday life. They had walked with him. They were with him. They saw him eyes on eyes. They touched him. They walked the journey with him. For three and a half years, they were in Jesus' entourage. They had seen him. But occasionally, they'd see him do something. And it was just spellbinding. They'd see him speak, and the storm would go quiet. They would see him touch someone and be made well. They would see him say things that just were beyond measure, and, and they just were amazed, and they, and they just knew that had to come from God himself. And on this occasion, they saw something even more remarkable that cemented in their minds that this is no other character along the way. He's transfigured there, and the glory of God is shown to reside in him. It's an anticipation of the glory being manifested as a resurrection. It is a touch. In the Simon Peter cycle, in these three and a half years, it's a touch there of what is to come, and he still remembers it. He still remembers that this was the glory of God being shown down on the sun. We saw this. We heard that voice with our ears. This is something I was there to see, he's telling them. And I want you to know, I've not just been sitting around thinking stories about what God might be like. I've been walking with someone. And I'm bearing testimony to what I've seen with my own eyes and what I've heard with my own ears. And I want you to and what has begun to burn in my heart and I want you to know what I'm telling you rest upon eyewitness testimony it's a solid rock we didn't dream this kind of god up this god came to us and got in our face and displayed himself to us and simon is one of the chief witnesses now it may occur to you that folks who had that privilege are dying off in fact this might be simon peter's last will and testament in effect he's dying he wants to kind of set things in order before he goes, and this letter is his sort of will to the church. But those folks who had that touch are disappearing as people grow older, and the rest of us are second-handers. We believe because we've heard the testimony that's been passed on to us. But to encourage us, he goes on. Look there in verse, we'll read verse 18. We ourselves heard the voice from heaven, and we, while we were with him there in the holy mountain. Now, to the prophecy, or the idea of scripture, there's a record that people who were eyewitnesses made of these things about Jesus, verse 19. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well. That's an understatement. You will do well to be attentive to this. This scripture, this prophecy, these deeds of God recorded in writing, you will do well to pay attention to this. Now the New Testament, I think, is still being collected, maybe some of it being written. I think the bulk of it is probably finished by the time Simon writes this note But I would suggest to you, it's still being formulated. But the church always had the Old Testament, never thought of themselves as being without the Bible. From the get go, they took that Bible and saw that it was an incomplete story without what they'd seen Jesus live out. This scripture you shouldn't overlook, it is like a lamp. Some of you remember your Bible school verses from uh, Bible school, right? A lamp unto your feet. It's a lamp. It's like an oil-burning lamp in his technology days, but it's a lamp, and you hold that light up, and you can shine light into the darkest and murkiest of rooms. It's a lamp for shining in a dark place until one day the day dawns and the morning star will rise in our hearts. The language here is a little troubling, a little difficult to navigate, but I think the big picture is okay. The idea is this. He is suggesting that this scripture, for now, is our guide. This scripture is sufficient to shine the light into the darkness, and the murkiest and the, uh, and the worst and the messiest places on life can be illuminated by this light, don't overlook the value of this record scripture. It is very important, very important. It's light that shines in the darkness. But right now, when Jesus' kingdom has started, it's just inaugurated. That's what we have. It's sufficient. It's enough. But it's what we have. But we look forward to one day when that light will completely eclipse the darkness. When the Son of God returns in victory, this return of the Lord Jesus Christ will bring His kingdom to completion, and the bright morning star will come. And right now, we can already hold that in our hearts, but it's the light that sustains us, anticipating the coming of God that encourages us and it's this kind of twofold look that Simon has in mind. And right now between the times, so between the time of his first coming and the second coming, we have this light the scripture and I want you to attend to it. I could say things about it being true and you could amen. And I want you to believe it's true. But in a way that's not the more most important question The the more pressing question is this, do you attend to it? Do you find in that scripture the light that breaks out the story anticipated of Jesus and the light that's coming into the world? And now, by extension, the New Testament, I would just suggest to you we have the record of the eyewitnesses. I'd like to go on and on. I won't, just let me say this much. You might be surprised to find that in the New Testament, we've got names, 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 everywhere names. Chapters at times, mostly names. It's unlike most anything else in ancient literature. Stories of great people, even if the person thought they were true, very often kind of faded everybody else out. You might just have a kind of a blank character, somebody mentioned here or there as vital in the story. But all the spotlight was put on one person, usually of wealth and greatness, of birth. All the attention was given to that. Everybody else was sort of faded into the picture. But the New Testament is so radically and amazingly different. It's just shocking when you begin to see it. This New Testament anchors the testimony and accomplishment of Jesus everywhere you look. Names, names, witnesses, people who were there again and again. These 12 were the ones that followed him, and so many others in that circle were mentioned. And then the women who go to the tomb, they're the ones who saw the crucifixion to the bitter end. They're the ones who found the empty tomb. They're the witnesses, the first witnesses even to the resurrection, John says. It's rather astounding. You would never, sorry sisters, sorry, but you would never concoct a story and create a woman witness in the ancient world. Don't mean to be offensive, but it just wouldn't do. But these lists are stubborn. People all along the way are named. People that don't matter in the ancient world because every story was about the people on top. But this is a story about God coming to the world And it just seemed like they went out of their way to name people all along the way. And the man who carries his cross, we have his name. We even have his son's name captured in Mark. Again and again, Simeon. We even have names for so many of the ones he healed. Jairus' daughter was healed. Bartimaeus, the blind man, healed. Nicodemus transformed. Names, names, names. Everywhere names, and I want to tell you, it has something to do with this. It has something to do with seeing the world differently, where it's not just the people on top who matter. That changes when Jesus comes and is born among us and and takes his place among the lowly. That changes things completely, and now every person matters in a way. So we might even give long place in one of these Gospels to how a man named Simon Peter, can you imagine this? Simon Peter, he's nobody in the ancient world. He's a fisherman. He should never show up anywhere. But we tell you all about his story. We tell you about the broken he had when he betrayed Jesus. We tell you about the painful reunion with Christ and how he loved him and loved him and loved him, and he goes on to be a leader in the church. That story of that common man, one of the witnesses, and all these other witnesses named You see, if you're going to just concoct a story, you don't ever put somebody's name, right? It could be falsified. You get it? But why? There was this overabundance of confidence in the story, and everywhere they could make a connection, they wanted to say, Jesus, Jesus was here. Jesus did that. You could ask this person, you could ask that person. Simeon from Cyrene. He probably goes on to be a Christian. That's the reason Mark probably knows his sons' names. They may go on to be Christians as well. We have some other folks named in the New Testament. we do not for sure if that's his sons, but it might just be that they become a vital part of the great story of God. I just want to tell you, God has come. He's spoken and reached out and touched the most common of people, but those people are not common anymore. They're transformed from the touch of Jesus' life, and they bear testimony. And so the text goes on to say this. This light that shines in the darkness, you can trust it. The next verse, it's not from the initiative of some, merely some human person. The next verse suggests this, the idea of inspiration. Instead, these people who wrote our books, usually almost eyewitnesses are connected to eyewitnesses, these people, they were carried along by the Spirit. Born along, it could be like the Spirit's moving them to one place or the other. It could also, the word's also used as for a boat, like the boat's in the water, but what moves it, it's the wind or the Spirit that blows it and moves it in the direction where it wants it to go. And the idea is this, that these people that were recording these stories and giving us the record that we now collect and honor in the Bible, these testimonies... Simon is saying they're sure. They rest on this eyewitness testimony. And God is the underwriter of it. Now this can get a little distracting. I won't hold you long. Just hold on. The church does not follow routine understandings of inspiration around its world and its own tradition. Some people think for a text to be inspired, you kind of have to knock the author out and put him in the trance, and he has to work like a blind Xerox machine, just coding, right? As if, though, if he had anything to do with it, it would not be inspired. But that's not what the, the church has always said. The church has always said, no, God worked in and through people. So if you had the luxury of reading in the original, you could go to, over here to Mark who I think captures a lot of Simon Peter's eyewitness testimony, and it reads one way. It has a very distinctive style, kind of brutal, crude, just street Greek, commerce Greek. You could go over to John, and you have an utterly simple but wonderfully complete. His sentences are complete. He, it's just, it's a great place to read, to learn to read Greek, but it has one style. You get over to Luke, and it's polished. I mean sophisticated Greek by comparison. Artistic. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is when I say that the Holy Spirit is behind these and and that God is the author of this Bible, I'm not telling you that there's a Holy Spirit Greek and these people lost their mind and their input and their literary style and their place in history and so on. No, I'm telling you just the opposite. God worked in and through these people and that bears the mark of their circumstance, their style, their outlook, and everything about them. But God works in and through them, and the message still comes through. If we had a little more light outside, I can't command that, but you you get the idea. If we had a little more light outside, uh, these windows would show, show up even more beautifully. But you'll notice those pieces aren't the same. The pieces in those windows, the little panes of glass, are not the same. They're different colors. God didn't make the Bible by shutting the human author down and dictating a term. That is an an, an understanding of inspiration and revelation in a major world religion, but it's not Christianity. What Christians say is this, that each one of these panes of glass is unique and different with its own style, its own understanding, its own vocabulary. But God still worked in and through them to communicate his message. You see what I'm saying? And when the light hits that, the variety creates a beautiful, a beautiful image that no single one pane of glass could do. You get what I'm saying? And God worked in and through all these people. And what the Spirit was doing was not shutting them off. In fact, if you read, they go and ask people, when they're not sure. That's what Luke says. He doesn't shut them off. He anchors them in their own experience because their own experience is anchored in eyewitness testimony. And he works and accomplish and communicates this message through them. So I don't think you're being, uh, a person that's being irreverent. If they say, I want to know what's going on in Paul's life when he wrote this letter. It may help me understand the letter. I would say yes, yes, and amen, and yes. I'll even double down. I'll say, if you can understand Paul better, I think you can understand what God's saying better. How about that one, right? In other words, you don't have to turn Paul off to hear God. No, God works in and through, in and through these people. Now, full circle. Here we end. We're in a season called Lent. Baptists don't do a lot with that. I kind of understand why. But it does make some sense. When Jesus was going through this period in his life when it was the darkest and the heaviness and all the people around him were kind of peeling off and getting flaky and leaving him alone and abandoned. And he had to go and be faithful all by himself sometimes. But no matter where he was and how abandoned he was, he kept going. He kept following God. And so it's a good time for us to ask, what about us? Are we keeping at it? Are we following like we ought to be? Are we faithful like we ought to be? Have we been compromised and discouraged by hardship and difficulty along the way? This is maybe the time of year to wake up when Jesus is heading toward the cross knowing it's going to cost him everything, but he still goes. Maybe it should call us to keep going and keep going. And this morning, I just want to say to you, I want to stir your faith and give you a confidence that what we teach and believe is rooted in God's display of himself to eyewitness persons. To real people like you and me. And thanks be to God, they give witness. And you and me need to give witness. In the way we live, and in what we speak. We don't do Lent in a a big way, but you know, I heard a pretty good one this week. Somebody said, I gave up complaining for Lent. I was maybe complaining, and they started to complain, they kind of put their hand over their mouth. Whoa, what? And I kind of wondered what was happening. I said I'd stop complaining for Lent, and I thought, wow. Now that's something worth giving up for Lent, right? Maybe we need to renew our sense of what it means to be a disciple, redouble our efforts to be attuned to him, and discover again maybe what has grown silent, That is the privilege to give our testimony. What Kylie did in baptism this morning was to give her testimony by acting out the story now to which her life is attached that Jesus was crucified her and was good and buried and is now risen from the dead and reigns and new life. He can share new life with you and me. So what will it be? what kind of follower will we be? Will we be sort of arm's distance, admiring him but not really walking the walk? And how about the other? Can we find, our, can we find it in ourselves to talk the talk? Now, you don't have to be the next preacher. Remember how each gospel writer was different? Each one of you is different, but in Jesus Christ, you have your own testimony about how you found life and hope, and I want to say to you, it's a sure hope, it's trustworthy. It's one worth living by, and it's one worth telling. grateful for Simon Peter who stuck around through all of his failure and hardship to finally let the Lord get it right and move him along and we're still telling about it let's pray Lord Jesus would you stir us to be your people would you refine our walk and our fellowship would you stir us to love you and be true to you and be faithful to you we celebrate your faithfulness to the purpose of god and the new life we find in it we are so very very grateful and god would you give us the courage to lift our voice and bear the witness that we believe that we're trusting Christ with everything we are, our destiny, our hope, our forgiveness. And Lord, let the testimony from our hearts ring out in the lives of others. May our lives be testimony, may our words match, and may you receive glory from what we, this church, and those who are gathered with us, Resolved to do by your spirit's urging, even this day and this week, make us your followers, your witness, in Jesus' name, amen.